For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, remembering those who have perished while crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. An international group celebrates 100 years of working on behalf of peace and justice. The community is invited to celebrate new growth at the Mission Garden. And U.S. Poet Laureate Juan Felipe Herrera shares his love of language with Tucson elementary students. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Since the summer of 2000, more than 6,000 men, women, and children have died trying to cross the desert terrain of the U.S.-Mexico border. The more than 300-mile Arizona-Sonora border is one of the most dangerous to cross. Compounding this tragedy, many border crossers die alone, and very often their families are left without knowing their loved one's fate. A group in Cochise County called Pilgrimage of Remembrance has made it their mission to place homemade crosses near the places where migrant remains were found and to invite community members to a sacred ceremony commemorating those who died. Nancy Montoya picks up the story in a desolate area of the Dragoon Mountains near Texas Canyon. The stillness of the desert is deafening. South, over the rugged terrain, is Mexico, but the border is obscured by sheer cliffs and granite domes shaped in odd formations. This is Texas Canyon, also home of the famed Cochi stronghold. The area is so difficult to traverse that in the mid-1800s, Cochise, the chief of the Chiricahua Apache tribe, and more than a thousand of his followers eluded the U.S. Army for 15 years. Looking at the rough terrain, it's easy to understand how impassable it would be to some. There are now dirt roads leading into the area, and that's where we find more than 30 individuals walking solemnly in line. The only sound, a beat of a drum and Native American rattles, and then a spirited voice, first in Spanish, then English. They are a diverse group of adults and even children. They are Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. And over the past few years, many volunteers have come from around the world to plant a cross in memory of someone who died trying to cross from Mexico into the U.S. So far, 300 crosses have been planted. Um, he drew his last breath north of here in the uh, Texas Canyon area uh, last summer, about the middle of July. Ramon Contreras Ramos. Pat Cutting made the cross the group was carrying today into the desert in honor of Ramon Contreras Ramos. She says she felt an almost spiritual connection to him. 
Well, you know, I, I could feel him as I was making the cross. There was a little dove that kept making all this fuss. And, and as I was painting his name, and when I finished doing it, he flew away. So it was, it was just really beautiful. Ramos was 36 when he died. Um, but I, I could feel him. I knew he was married. I knew he had a sense of humor. I knew he was a good man. He had a, he, he didn't want to be 40. <laughs> so God has a sense of humor, you know. <laughs> It is with great respect that she and others form a circle around an area where the cross is to be planted. I asked Mike Crecci, a soft-spoken man in his late 60s, why he was here. I guess it's because I'm moved by the scale of death in the, in the desert here. And uh, so many people have lost their lives and that's affected for family and friends far and wide. I also want to mention that I work with Humane Borders and I help update the map of migrant deaths. So it's a big part of my life. Standing near the site where the cross is to be staked, a woman lifted her head from prayer. I'm Pat Ferrick. I'm a school sister in Notre Dame. Now, the School Sisters of Notre Dame was established in 1833 and serve in five continents. Fighting for human rights is a big part of what the order does. I, I think my, the, the emotion, strongest emotion was basta, no more of this. You know, we've, had, we've been to too many of these, and we know that there are so many others. It has to stop, you know? Maria Ortiz made the pilgrimage with her brother and young niece, her eyes filled with tears as she tries to explain how she feels. Well, um, can I get touched? But it's such a sad... Uh, it's a great opportunity to be here, but it's also very sad. I couldn't even fathom the idea of someone feeling that desperation. So, I mean, all the blessings in the world to his family, and we know that he's in a better place. As two men use a pick and shovel to break the hard ground where the cross will go up, a Native American prayer is shared. We come here only in passing. We don't own all that is given to us. In this journey, we eat, sleep, and dream. And whenever you are ready, O Maker of Life, we'll come home to you. And whenever you are ready, O Maker of Life, we'll come home to you. Ramon Contreras Ramos. He died alone last year from exposure to the unforgiving Arizona sun. But today, he is not alone. He's remembered by strangers. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Nancy Montoya.
The group Pilgrimage of Remembrance holds regular commemorations along the border. We have a link for information on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Next, Tony Paniagua highlights a group marking its 100th year of assistance and advocacy in service of creating a more just legal system. Matthew Lowen, the Associate Program Director of the American Friends Service Committee here in Tucson. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what is the American Friends Service Committee for people who may not have heard of this organization? The American Friends Service Committee is a Quaker nonprofit organization. We actually have offices around the world. And here in Tucson, Arizona, we focus specifically on criminal justice and prison issues. Uh, We like to think that we are the uh, premier prisoner rights organization here in the state of Arizona. And what are some of the things you do uh, related to this topic? We work on a variety of issues from trying to change the sentencing laws in Arizona to addressing conditions of confinement inside the prisons to uh, fighting the expansion of prison industry here in Arizona to working with formerly incarcerated people uh, to help provide a platform for their voice and their stories to get out. Do you have any idea on the numbers of people behind bars here in the state? We have around 42,000 people in the state of Arizona who are currently incarcerated. That's not counting uh, detention or jails or federal system. And what are some of the things you'd like to accomplish as far as making changes when it comes to incarceration? Ultimately, we would like to have less people in prison. We don't think that it is a a solution to any of our social um, issues that we have today. Uh, We think that we are putting far too many people behind bars who are either nonviolent or have more issues such as treatment and, and drug issues. We think that there are alternative solutions that both keep the community safe as well as are far better solutions for the people who we are presently putting behind bars. And how big is the AFSC in Arizona? Do you have offices uh, outside of Tucson or are they throughout the The state? The Tucson office is the only um, office here in Arizona. We currently have five full-time staff, which is um, as small as that is. That's the largest we've ever been, and we feel very proud about that. Our our team is, is outstanding and really versatile in the abilities and the knowledge that they bring to to the work that we do. Uh, We have other offices, of course, throughout the country in in California and New Mexico for our neighboring states, um, and we we work with them as as sort of the themes and the, the, the work allows for. And you also have volunteers, I understand. We do. We, we are always open to having volunteers and interns at our office. Uh, if you're interested, you can always go to afscarizona.org to get more information about that. This organization was founded in 1917 by the Quakers. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Yeah, so obviously that was before my time. Um, the, it was during the First World War, and uh, we were offering, the Quakers were offering um, counseling to people who were considering either joining up or resisting um, in, in the war effort. And then, of course, they acted as medics as well in the war effort. So, yeah, 100 years, it's been a long time, and um, we have volunteers or or old older Quakers who come and um, talk with us and, and, and talk about their great memories of AFSC back in the day. AFSC here in Tucson, of course, started in 1981, and so we're a little bit younger than the 100 years, but we're very happy to celebrate our centennial. When is it happening and what's going to be involved? So we will be gathering at La Cocina Restaurant downtown 
on Tuesday, March 28th from 5 o'clock in the evening till 10 p.m. And we're going to have live music, uh, local music from here. We're going to have uh, spoken word poetry. And we're going to have a silent auction with lots of great gifts from uh, book lovers, baskets to a getaway in Hilton Head. All right. Matthew Lowen, the Associate Program Director for the American Friends Service Committee, founded by the Quakers in 1917. Thank you very much. Thank you. Roger Pfeiffer, co-chair of the Friends of Tucson's Birthplace, says there's a specific sense of place that surrounds the base of A Mountain and the site of the Mission Garden Project. The garden began in 2012 using voter-approved funds and today represents the work of a nonprofit volunteer-based organization whose mission is to preserve, share, and revive this region's 4,000-year agricultural history. This Sunday, they're holding a party at the garden to thank volunteers for their service and let the community see, smell, and taste the literal fruits of their labor. Roger Pfeiffer explains. We have reached a situation where now where we have the, the infrastructure basically in for the whole garden. We have two new buildings. We have irrigation throughout. We have electricity for the first time uh, throughout the garden. We have a uh, public restrooms. Uh, so we, we feel that the infrastructure is now complete. Uh, that has been a, a huge uh, landmark for us. And we've gotten there through the significant infrastructure construction monies from Rio Nuevo, but also the money from donors from uh, and the, the sweat work, the sweat equity from our volunteers. And we just want to hold an event uh, this Sunday. Uh, from two to four to appreciate all of the volunteers and the donors that uh, allowed us to get this far. And to someone who's never visited the gardens, what are they going to see if they roll up on Sunday? Well, they're going to see, they're going to smell, they're going probably going to taste. Um, the garden has got a brand new entryway, uh, compliments of a major donor, Roz and George Miller. Uh, we have landscaped that east entryway. Uh, when you go in the gate, you will immediately encounter the Spanish colonial heritage orchard, and the trees are in significant bloom. It is full of citrus smells. It is full of peach blossom smells. So everything, the apricot trees have already passed their blossoming and are into the, the budding, the fruiting stages. They're going to see the two new buildings, uh, although they're fairly well obscured by the trees right now. Well, that's not a bad thing for a garden. That, that is not. That's exactly what we hoped. Um, we're going to see uh, new pathways. They're going to see the uh, two new ramadas. And they're going to see the work that's ahead of us for uh, planting some of the areas that have just received the irrigation now. Has this last, uh, I might use the term winter a little loosely because many people have commented <laughs> we didn't get much winter this year. But was this a good season for you? Was the, was the weather um, amicable to more volunteer hours being spent in the field? True. For the, for the human beings in the field, mm -hmm. it was a very mild winter. And so we were uh, very appreciative of that. It was mild, and yet it brought a significant amount of rain. So we had, we had good, good watering throughout. The one problem that we've had in the orchard in particular is with the lack of chill hours, there are certain fruits that don't do well, and those are the stone fruits, the peaches, the apricots, um, the, uh, the plums. So we have seen a significant blossoming this year of all of those trees. Uh, we're wondering if they'll be go, go to uh, fruition, if I can use that term. I think it's very <laughs> applicable here, actually. Um, obviously, the Mission Gardens are going to 
offer something to people who like history. They're going to have something to offer to people who like agriculture and who are interested in the native plants and the heirloom plants. But what might you say about the importance of the overall project to a contemporary Tucsonan? It's an excellent question. And it's excellent because the garden has so many different stories. It has history, it has archaeology, it has uh, botany, it has ethnobotany. What we're doing in our mission is to honor the cultures that have done the agriculture in this Santa Cruz Basin for 4,100 years. Um, that's archaeologically documented. We also uh, want to, in our last plot of, of land inside the garden, we want to have tomorrow's garden. And that is a, a, a concept that's in process right now. We pr probably will not have it uh, planted for another maybe six to nine months. But we, were, we want to go through a public process because that garden is going to ask the question and hopefully try to answer some questions about how are we going to continue to grow food and, and have food security locally in the Sonoran Desert given three major challenges population growth, water scarcity, <clears throat> and climate change. We'll allow people to investigate ways that they're going to be able to continue to do gardening, uh, given those three challenges. We don't know what that garden is going to look like, because we are going to be going through a public process to uh, gather input from a variety of sources. People often do come to the garden saying, um, you know, I just moved here. I want to know what to plant. And there are, we are happy to to try to answer those questions. But those questions, those answers from us are veiled in the heritage crops that we are that we are raising, given the different cultures that we are honoring. Those include the early agriculture, the Hohokam, the pre-European contact, Oodam, the post-European contact, Oodam, the missionary period, the Mexican era, the Chinese, the Yoemi or Yaki, uh, the African-American and the European-American gardens. As a, as a retired educator, I really wanted to have youth understand the contributions that their culture has made to this area. So I enjoy walking through the garden, doing tours, because we, when we give tours, we generally try to give people a taste of everything that's current the moment. So uh, we'll pick Mexican sweet limes from the trees and peel them and have people experience eating a lime off a tree, which is something that people say, I, you can't do that, but you can with, with Mexican sweet limes. Let's uh, tell people the time of the uh, public event on Sunday one more time. And also, any parking advice, anything people should keep in mind when they're coming to the garden? Wear a hat, comfortable shoes. Um, it's going to be warm, uh, although we do, have, uh, we do have shade. We have lots of ramada space. We also have water fountains throughout the garden now. So you can fill your bottles or fill your stomach, whichever you choose. Parking is along Mission Lane. The address is 946 West Mission Lane, if you use GPS. The event is Sunday, March 26th from 2 to 4. My guest was Roger Pfeiffer, co-chair of the community group The Friends of Tucson's Birthplace. Juan Felipe Herrera has been United States Poet Laureate since 2015. 
He was born in California to migrant farmer parents, and his childhood experiences have informed much of his work, including more than 20 books for adults and young readers. During the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books, Juan Felipe Herrera visited Tucson as a guest of the University of Arizona Poetry Center, and he took time to share his love of language with students at Davis Bilingual Magnet School. AZPM's Nick O'Gara was there and produced this story, which begins with UA Poetry Center director Tyler Meyer discussing the visit. So what you're going to hear when you listen to this is our poet laureate Juan Felipe Herrera in his element, in his moment, uh, responding to a crowd in real time, uh, doing call and response work with kids, doing theatrical work with kids, uh, creating poems uh, on the spot uh, based on the energy in the room. And that playfulness and that excitement, that spark, I think is at the heart of Juan Felipe's mode as both a poet and as uh, a person with a public life celebrating the role poetry has more broadly in the culture. Vamos entonces a escuchar una poesía. Muchas gracias. Ahí voy, ahí voy, un poquito, poquito, poquito. Poquito, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. Muchas gracias. Y estoy muy arriba, arriba. Way, way up here. So, uh, it's beginning to introduce myself with words and playing with words so they can feel uh, what it is I like to do and what, po- what they do also is imagination, movement, energy, and inspiration, which they have tons of, and they've really got into it. It's almost like having a chorus of, uh, I don't know how many hundreds of students were there, which is amazing. I love choir and words. So I create kind of poetry orchestras wherever I go. Okay, that's true. Everybody say downtown. Is where there are a lot of stores. Store, 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 store. Tortilleria, panaderia, peleteria, guaracheria, y el banco, y lechuga. Those children were gave me a lot of inspiration. Those children move me toward a more positive poetics. I get very um, serious with poetry a lot. I get too concerned, perhaps too concerned about what's taking place uh, in many of our communities and our nation and uh, globally. Uh, And I do this with as much heart as I can, a lot of corazón. But then again, uh, it's good to laugh and it's good to stretch and, and play the way we play today and be filled with effervescence the way we were today. (laughs) Otra mano para nuestros estudiantes que les gusta el chile muy picoso. (laughs) Another hand for our students that like chile in their cereal. I thought, you know, I have them right here, and I don't want them to get tired out. And they've been they've been really great so far. So I'm going to create a little theater, little theater group out of them. <laughs> and and then they both get in a truck. Okay, uh, the mama starts the truck. Everybody say the sound of a truck. Okay. 
<laughs> I really enjoy that. And then I say, you know, the most important thing is, one of the most important things I want to tell you is what was told to me as a young child uh, when I only spoke Spanish and then I was learning English by my third grade teacher, Mrs. Lelia Sampson. She told me after I sang and she encouraged me to get up in front of people, she said, you have a beautiful voice. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, wasn't able to accept it immediately. It was too big. It was like trying to fit a, a bigger you into the smaller you. And so the smaller you has to get bigger. Bonita. Tengo una voz muy bonita. You have a beautiful voice. Me? Really? You? Yes. You? I want him to understand that the role of the poet of, of poetry and the poet is a very human role. It's where we enjoy our lives, where we tell our story, where we express our voice, where we kind of where we challenge our imagination and really let ourselves go and uh, be fearless about it. You know, where we have give ourselves confidence of 100% unstoppable confidence when we jump into a poem, when we jump into a creative project whether it's uh, putting the story of Cesar Chavez together in a poem, in a sonnet form, we just have to let go. Or the story of Tucson in a sestina, using six end words that are the same, but in different patterns at the end of each uh, line of the six stanza poem. You know, that, that'd be great, you know, to write the story of Tucson from your experience in a sestina form, or in a rap poem, or in a ballad with a guitar or banjo when we have total confidence in doing that, uh, then we are creating something new that we can offer to the city, for example, if it's that ballad of Tucson. And all the planet, y todo el planeta, juntos, bioacústico, todas nuestras voces, together, together, always. Siempre. Siempre. You just heard excerpts of a poetry orchestra with U.S. Poet Laureate Juan Felipe Herrera and the students of Davis Bilingual Magnet School. The story was produced by Nick O'Gara. You can find more of the performance and a special message in Spanish from Herrera to the young people of Tucson at azpm.org. Now we'll hear some music from the event, performed by Davis Elementary's own mariachi group, Las Aguelitas de Davis.
Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Mm-hmm.